James Horror Reviews. I'm your host, Just James. What's up, everyone? Wanted to let you know real quick, at the very end of the show, I'm going to start adding a couple of bloopers that happened during the recording. So maybe you care about that, maybe you don't. But after the inline music, if you stay tuned for a couple of seconds, there'll be one or two, you know, quick 10 seconds of just funny stuff that happens when you record. I think it's hilarious. You might too. So check it out or don't. Have a good day. Back to the show. Today, we'll be looking at a 2020 indie film, Body Farm, written and directed by Brandon Keenan and Nicholas Lamantia. This is episode 17. Today we're going to be discussing the 2020 indie film, Body Farm. You can find out a lot of information about this film at bodyfarmmovie.com. Go on there, it's got all the information about the cast, crew, director, writers, all that kind of stuff. Also has links to different reviews, all the different awards that this film has won in, uh, over the past couple of years, and just uh, screenshots and more information about the people that are creating this film. It's really good to go and check out before you watch the film just to get a little background on these people and what they're trying to do. The film is brought to you by KV, KVT Productions and Nickel Films and looks like it was recorded out of the PA, but I believe most of them are from Pittsburgh, which funny enough, little side note here that Pittsburgh is in Pennsylvania. Now you might say, no shit, but I have realized something that I don't really know where all the states and capitals and major cities are. Does that sound stupid? I, I just feel like Maybe, like, regionally where you're from, you kind of know what all is around you. But when you start talking about anywhere outside of, you know, all your bordering states and major cities and stuff, it can kind of get a little cloudy. So to test this theory, I went to work, and I was asking some people where the fuck Delaware was. And then I asked them while they were thinking about that. I was like, where's Delaware on a map? And they were thinking about it. And I said, well, wait a minute. Is Delaware a city or a state? And I'm going to tell you that it's a 50-50 shot of whether or not people, one, know where it's at, and two, they actually have to stop and think for a second, is that a city or a state? Anyway, I don't, I don't know, maybe that's just around, maybe it's just around here, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that there's some people around you that don't know where shit is on a map. I know I don't. It's a lost art, as stupid as that sounds. Okay, so, back to the movie. So the film is titled Body Farm. When I originally saw the title for the film, I thought it was gonna be based on the Body Farm by William Bass. If you don't know what that is, very close to home. It's here in Knoxville, Tennessee at the University of Tennessee. If you've never heard of what the actual, you know, college study thing, the body farm is, you can dedicate your body to silence and they will throw it out here on some rocks or dirt and watch it decompose and watch bugs eat it and stuff. And then they study that to help them with, you know, human decomposition stuff, but also with crime scene stuff when they discover a body that's been buried or submerged underwater or whatever they can use this stuff to kind of get a timeline based on the decay and the type of insects that are on it and that kind of stuff i think that's really cool you know there's a lot of ways ways that people want to be i guess uh in ended i don't know how to say ended dot you know what happens after you die? Buried. Okay, there's a lot of ways they want to get buried. They either want to be buried or cremated or, you know, made into a tree or whatever that other weird stuff that you see on Instagram ads all the time. I think being thrown out on the dirt is pretty cool, especially as a horror fan. I've always said that, as a matter of fact, before even finding out about the body farm, 
How does Just James Horror want to go? I tell you, I want to go. Just throw me on the side of the road. I mean, what's more memorable than that? I think that'd be pretty cool. Everyone can stop by and see every now and then. It's kind of just really morbid and a little fucked up. But still, I mean, no one's going to remember you in a can full of ashes. No one's going to remember you if you're a tree, like it's kind of neat or whatever. But throw you on the side of the road for the next seven years and watch you decay, that's memorable, okay? People are going to come from all around to check out the dead dude. Whatever. I don't know. Maybe that's fucked up saying too much. Okay, so anyway, we're moving on. The Body Farm, it was a project by a guy named William Bass. I think he went on to write a couple of, I don't know if they're horror books or suspense novels or what they are. You can look them up. He wrote a bunch of books based on The Body Farm, and it's very cool. So that's what I thought this movie was going to be about. It sort of is where the premise is there was this big storm at a penitentiary and they had to move a bunch of people however the life uh the the death row inmates decided to stay there because things are a little more comfortable after the storm with the idea that once when they died that their body would be donated to science whatever that would mean okay so that's kind of the premise that's why it becomes the body farm if you're looking at their ads and stuff on the website they talk about how hundreds of people go missing every year and no one knows about them so it kind of sets up the hype that gets you ready for the story. We'll say at the end of this film, it was dedicated to a Tyler Bruce Smith. Uh, Those names are extremely significant to me in a really odd, supernatural way. So it'd be interesting to know, it'd be interesting to know who that is and what that dedication was for. Uh, I can't tell you on here, ooh, mystery, right? But I just, I'm just not going to. So interesting. I'll have to DM maybe one of the writers and find out what that's about. Speaking of DMing the writers, Brandon Keenan has a online present that's pretty active. He also has a lot of videos about how you can reach out to him to say what's up, tell him what you thought about the film and all that. So go watch the film, and if you want to, reach out to him. Talk to him. Let him know what you thought about the film, suggestions, loved it, hate it, whatever. I'm sure they love to get all this stuff. So uh, chat with him, slide into those DMs, and say what's up. This uh, film is available on... YouTube to watch for free. So go check it out. The runtime, I think, is like an hour, maybe a few minutes less. So it's not very long. It's only got a thousand views and it's only got 10 likes. It's on the Stash TV channel on YouTube. But let's get those numbers up. I mean, we always talk about supporting indie horror. Oh, we got to support the little guy, support indie horror, right? Well, with all the books and stuff, that's easy to do. You just buy a book with these filmmakers. I think these dudes drop like 35 grand on this film out of their own money. Now, I'm sure they probably had some donations and stuff to help, but, you know, basically they didn't have the backing of a huge business, corporate, conglomerate, whatever. So that's a lot of cash. So let's support indie horror. Let's support these, you know, up-and-coming filmmakers that are, you know, just trying to put something out in a business that's full of old money and support them. A thousand likes, not fucking good enough. Let's give them some more likes. Let's give them some more views and support them however we can, and see what they can produce in the future. So this film was written and directed, and also stars in Brandon Keenan and Nicholas Lamantia. Now, I don't know if that's how he says his name, but it sounds really cool to me. It's probably Lamantia? I don't know. But since I'm more of the Spanish persuasion, it looks like Lamantia to me, which I think is pretty neat. Anyway, I'm probably butchering it, and I'm really sorry, Nicholas, if I'm ruining your name. You can get on here in the comments and blast me if you want. That's fine. So, it was, like I said, recorded in Pittsburgh, but they also had scenes that were shot in Mount, at a Moundsville penitentiary in West Virginia. I thought that was pretty cool, and you can definitely see the difference in some of the scenes when it flashes from, you know, more of a domestic recording to inside of a prison. It's got the real steel bars and all that, very much has that 
feel and aesthetic to it that you can t- that can't be manufactured on a on a set, I guess. So cool that those recordings were done there. Almost wish they would have used more of that space. I I don't know what their you know contract was with those people or the space that they were allowed to use, but if they could have used more of that, I thought that would have been cool. However, it doesn't super take away from the film or anything like that. Uh, there are some places where you can tell it's maybe filmed in like a a storage unit or something like that. And the only reason I know that is because back in the day, being a scene kid, all these bands would play in storage units, so you just kind of know what that looks like. So maybe in like I said, anyway. It's an indie film. They're doing the best they can, and I think they did. I think they did a great job with not having this huge budget, not having all the nice equipment and things that are available to people that have a lot of money to film stuff. So it took a lot of creativity and talent to put out a film like this that was enjoyable without being, you know, ridiculously cheesy or hokey or anything like that. So definitely props to them and their team for their ability to do that. Alright, so here we go. Body Farm. Let's get into it. Alright, so at the beginning of this movie, and I will say, I'm going to go through the whole movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out, and then come back and listen to the review. It's going to be full of spoilers. I'm going to tell you the ending. I'm going to do all that stuff, but again... Go see the film first, and then come back and check it out, and let's talk about it. So the film opens with, you see someone washing bloody hands, right? Bloody hands, there's a woman on the table, she's looking like she's primed for surgery, but not in a very clean, brightly lit, you know, hospital scene. It looks like a seedy, dark basement. We see that there's a doctor, and he's marking with a, you know, with like a, he's marking with a marker on this person. And he's cutting something out of it. Is it a liver? Is it a kidney? I don't know what's on that side of the body, but he, he marks her, cuts her open, pulls that stuff out. I don't guess it's really important to the story what he's pulling out of her just yet. So, And he puts it in this bio-styrofoam contain, container and stitches her up. And then it cuts to a scene of her and we find out her name is Justine. You don't find that out till later, but Justine wakes up. She pulls on these stitches. She doesn't realize, you can tell she's disoriented, doesn't realize where she's at. This is not somewhere she's supposed to be. She sees the stitches and she pulls them. And as she yanks them out, like the wound opens up and you get this big rush of thick, dark blood and guts and everything kind of start falling out of her. And what I wanted to say for this and how I review this film is, I guess, from a just as your average person watching it and how I enjoyed it. And then maybe throw in a critique or two. I'm, again, I'm not a filmmaker. I don't know. But at least this isn't another Scream review. You know what I mean? So, okay. So I, I thought the blood and effects were really good. And again, this is, you know, not a big budget movie or anything like that. But the I liked that they used this darker kind of heavy rush of blood instead of the real light or bright red it, I don't know, to me it looked a little more realistic and it had pieces falling out of her and stuff. I just thought those effects were done really well. The opening scene was cool. It definitely grabs you and makes you want to see like, holy shit, what's going on here? So I did like the opening sequence. The critique part of me will say the music in the opening sequence was like brain busting loud for some reason. I don't know. It just kind of drowned it out what was going on. But it, you know, the music was fine. I, I thought the music and the editing and all that kind of stuff was fine. I just thought it was uh, kind of ridiculously loud, but I still liked it. 
And also in the opening scene, I think you'll kind of recognize some of the camera cuts and sounds that they use. It has this sizzly sort of sound with all these quick zoom-ins and sort of shaky zoom-ins. It's really, it reminds you a lot of the Saw films, sort of when they're, um, kind of their opening scenes and also at the end when they're trying to explain, like showing you all the backstory secrets and stuff that put the whole film together. So that's kind of done in the beginning. Anyway, so we'll move on. All right, so that's your opening scene. That's what we get. And then it cuts to, and they do really cool transitions. I don't know if that's just film nerd stuff or anyone cares about that, but they do really cool uh, transitions on here. So for instance, when they transition to the next scene on this, it's this match cut transition to a dude that's checking um, like a health monitor, but it's on the same side. So he's got a shirt lifted up. So it's kind of exposing that side. That's the same side that Justine was getting worked on and was just, you know, gaping out on the other, on the scene before that. So very cool. And here we're going to meet Eric, who is Justine's boyfriend. And he said, he's going on about how he hasn't talked to her in a week. We, we're going to meet a couple of characters here. Zach, which is the obvious, obvious comic relief. He's the boss's assistant. And I will say something about Zach. Okay. Critiquey part. Zach was cool. I love the character. The comic relief part was good, but why he has this hokey ass, like comic relief music that, that accompanies him. He has like entrance music and I I don't, I didn't think it was necessary or especially not as goofy as the soundtrack was for him. I guess, because he was funny on his own. Like, I mean, like I said, it was obvious he was the comic relief. I loved his character, and I liked him in the film. But the music, and they don't always do it, but they did it a lot in the beginning. I didn't think that part was necessary. However, still still cool. I hate to be super passive like that, but yeah, still, still it was fine. Okay, so we're also going to meet Eric's friend, Ashton, who is very realistic about Eric and Justine's relationship. So I did like that kind of back and forth between the two of them because, you know, he's like, Eric's character is falling for this girl in a super intense way. And then Ashton's kind of like, bro, you haven't really known her that long. I don't understand why you're being so intense about this chick. And they have a good back and forth. You also meet their boss, and I can't remember his name right now, but that character was done really well. The actor who does the job of the boss, he plays this, you know, ball headed, slick, like power mogul kind of look to him and also that kind of you know take no shit attitude business you know shark he did a really good job as well oh and if i forgot to say these guys are part of a film production crew because they're talking about you know filming weddings and all this kind of stuff and justine went to do some filming at this body farm type place this prison that we had talked about earlier and that's where she's never come back from so the boss ends up getting some mail and it's a flash drive from Justine, and Eric gets it from Zach. Comes in and gives it gives it to him. Says it's from the boss, and he wants you to investigate this. And we need to go check this out. It's a big story. This can take us out of doing weddings and all this other stuff. We can start doing more serious video productions. Oh, and Eric is wearing a KVT Productions hoodie through a lot of this part here. And I think that's one of the production companies that, that he might even work for him as a real person. Uh, not the, that the actor actually works for too. So a little bit of promotion there, but like I said, you got to get that money, man. When you're, you know, young, new, trying to make some films and stuff, anything you can do, right. To, to get some money. So I'm not trying to hate on that. And, uh, so anyway, oh, and I did remember the, the boss's name 
is Mark. Mark's the guy I was talking about, so look for him in the film. Very Lex Luthor-looking type dude. He's kind of got that attitude as well, so Mark's the boss. So they all get together. They decide they're going to go try to find out what happened to Justine. The boss, well, Eric wants to find out about Justine. The boss wants to go down there to finish this story. So they get in a van, and they start driving down there, and as they're going down there, there's this weird part, for me anyway, you, you get to learn a little bit more about each character as with the dialogue that's going on inside the van. You also learn more about the penitentiary and the storm and everything that we had talked about earlier and, and kind of set up the story as they go down there. In this van, there's, this, there's a scene where, I guess, one of them falls asleep. I, I think it was... Uh, Ashton falls asleep at the wheel and they kind of veer off to the side of the road and, and Eric's telling him like, hey man, I'll drive the rest of the way. Critiquey mode real quick. That scene didn't work. I didn't understand what was happening. So I don't know. And, and maybe they talked about it before they left. This was a long drive for them. I don't know. But I mean, I know it was filmed in West Virginia, but I can't remember in the story if they were saying they're driving from, you know, Pennsylvania to West Virginia for this particular thing that they're going to do for the body farm however there is a scene where he falls asleep and at first when i watched it i didn't understand why i was like is this going to come into play later like is there something wrong with ashton that he is falling asleep behind the wheel or are they just trying to kind of show the audience that hey they've been driving a really long time without rest and he fell asleep and you know veered off the road so that part was a little clunky for me if if you watched it and you can make more sense of that by all means let me know in the comments maybe there's just something i missed uh, with with that part so they finally arrive at the prison, and when they pull up, there's a guard. So some of the guards and the police officers that they used, I wonder if it was actual police officers or uniforms. Um, if you look real close, they got kind of tape over the words. So I wonder if they actually hired a couple of, uh, or, or maybe just knew some real police officers and said, hey, can you come film in our movie? And, you know, they did a really good job. The guy at the gate, you know, looked very much, in, you know, it's intimidating, right from the start. It's uncomfortable right from the start. So as soon as they get to the gate and they're being let in, these guards come in, they're very standoffish and that starts right from the get-go. So anyway, they go they go through the gate, they wind up at kind of the main house of the prison and again, this is just because because the indie film, you know, they're doing what they can, they're using the scenes that they can get. I'm sure they take what they can get for free. Now, I'm not going to say that's an excuse to make a bad movie. This was not a bad movie. I thought it was well-written. I liked the storyline and, and all the little gotcha moments and stuff. I thought that was done really well. They're just kind of limited by their budget. So when they pull up, it just looks like a trailer somewhere. It doesn't look like a prison at all. And then once they get inside... Oh, and uh, Brandon Keenan, if you're listening to this, I don't know if you listen to these because, I mean, who am I? But whatever. So, But if you're listening to this... Dude, what is up with the low ceilings in this? And I know you know the scene I'm talking about when they they get there and they go inside and it's kind of like the opening desk area. Dude, the ceiling is so... Either you guys are monstrously fucking tall or these ceilings are the lowest ceilings I've ever seen in my life. It's like everyone's head is almost scrubbing the ceiling when they go in. So I would like to know if that scene was shot at that particular trailer when they showed up or if that was something down in the old penitentiary that you guys shot in it just has low ceilings because it just is an older model of build and that's just kind of how things were done so anyway they go to this building as soon as they get there a guard comes out and grabs the boss and says that he wants him to come with him for some paperwork or whatever so they're already getting separated and like I said you already have the uneasy scene of them going into the gate then they go in boom one of them gets separated right off the bat and they go into the building and this is, I believe, this is where they're introduced to the guard 
Officer Thompson. And Officer Thompson is going to be my second... No, he's going to be my top three. I'll say that. My top three favorite characters in this film. And, of course, the main guys are doing their thing, so I'm not going to count you guys. But as far as, like, other people in the film, this dude, whatever you... if I don't know if you paid him in, in money, whiskey, or blunts, whatever. Pay this dude, because his character was awesome. This guy plays the perfect asshole. It makes you wonder, maybe he's an asshole in real life. And if he's not, I don't know what power he draws from, but his character was just sleazy, dirtbag, jerk, right off the rip, and I loved it. He goes downstairs, and they're taking him across the cells, and this is where you can tell they actually filmed it, you know, in the prison. And they got, you know, inmates in there. It's it's very, it's a, it's a good, it's done well. And they go down there, and he's got this cattle prod taser, it's a, it's a, it's an obvious prop. Like it looks like a prop, but he tases the dude like through the bars for no reason. I think he tases him in the, in the piece too. Like in the, can you say that word on here? Junk. He, he, he tases him in the junk. I'm pretty sure. And just for no reason other than the guys just being loud. So you don't like this guy immediately. They did a good job with writing his character in that way. And we go downstairs and we meet our first actual medical person. And this is going to be Dr. I thought they were saying Saber, like the old wrestling personality, but I believe it's in the credits, it's Saver, S-A-V-E-R. So they go and meet Dr. Saver. There's a, a funny line down here where, uh, well, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. They talk to her. Officer Thompson's trying to hit on her. She blows him off because, like I said, the dude's a sleazeball. And they're kind of asking her questions about the body farm, what goes on there, how this, and, you know, she's got, uh, all these different supplies and stuff where they would take uh, organs and things like that out of people or whatever. She's talking to him about what they do there. And you can tell her character is someone who, I guess, believes in the work. Like, she likes what they're doing. And you can tell she's not a sleazeball, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. And so maybe that's why they named her Saver. Maybe that's a little play on words. And I will say this about indie films, too. I feel like they try a lot harder with all these little things, like the names of people and their camera angles, their transitions, the music, all that stuff carries a lot more meaning because they can't hide behind a bunch of really cool special effects and all this kind of stuff. So they really have to put a lot of time and effort into those things. And that's, I think, the part that I like the most about, you know, maybe under-budgeted films by people who are still, they still just love the craft, right? And so that's what they're trying to do is, you know, just exploit the craft in a way that's uh, enjoyable. So Dr. Saver is taking is talking to him, and again, Eric is still kind of asking everyone, like, hey, where in the world is my, my girlfriend? I understand you guys, you know, we're here to record and do all this stuff, but I want to know where she's at. And no one's giving him a straight answer. They're saying we haven't seen her or whatever, just kind of blowing him off. So Dr. Saver's going to take him outside to check out some body farm stuff. And before they go out there, there's a funny line. It's funny to me because she says, we'll need to put these gloves on because it's snowing outside. And they go outside, and I'll be damned, it's snowing out there. And I thought, oh, man, how are they going to pull this off, right? So when they were walking out there, I was wondering, like, is this going to be, like, is there going to be a guy shaking, you know, cotton balls over their head or something stupid? But no, it's actually snowing outside. But the gloves she has them put on are just rubber gloves. So I don't know, that line to me was funny because, like, let's put these on, it's snowing outside. Well, they're not warm gloves, so why would you put those on to go snowing? You're putting them on because you're going outside to fuck with dead people, but... It, I don't know. It was just a funny... Uh, the line itself was, was kind of funny. And maybe I missed a, a part in it or something like that. So just let me know if I'm off base on that. And they go out. And one of the most 
I won't, well, it's a pretty disturbing scene. They go out and there's a dead body in the trunk. And again, like I was saying, pay the Thompson dude for his, for his acting chops in there. Pay the lady in the trunk too. So I don't know, but she does a bang up job of playing a dead body. Now, when you watch this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. She keeps this dead body stare that is just so unnerving and it just it pierces a hole whatever you're watching it on your phone or your laptop or whatever it just pokes a hole straight through the screen straight through your brain just deep into your soul just this big wide ass dead body stare as she's in the trunk so the doctor's going on about hey this is you know we stage all these scenes and we do all this stuff to kind of see how the decomp goes and like I said, at the university, how they do that, they're doing the exact same type of... Uh, so if I push my glasses up in the middle of my face here and I put on my critique glasses, I will say, as far as the camera shots go, Lady in the Trunk was cool. However, there's a scene where the camera shoots her from the side and she still has that big, wide-eyed, dead-body stare, but her eye has moved. So I know that is some nitpicky come on man type stuff but like the the initial scene her eyes are centered and then when they do it from the side her eyes have moved to the side of her head to for the camera angle obviously and to keep that same really unnerving stare uh, but you know if you're wanting critiquey stuff man there it is okay still one of my favorite scenes in there because that lady just does such a good job of being just this unnerving you know uh what's the word i'm looking not specter wretch fuck it okay we'll move on so they go from that and then they go to check out a guy that had a gunshot wound to the head you're checking him out again the effects are very cool they did a good job with his head looking like it had been shot and he's just left out there in the cold but i will say this he's laying out there with a gunshot wound to the head oh and okay i'm not a, a pervert nothing but this dude still had underwear on let's yank the underwear off this dude let's let's go full in naked dead body on the ground face down bloody wound, whatever, ass up. That's what I was looking for. That's what I wanted to see. So, you know, uh, but oh well, still cool. We'll move on. So they check out the dead body and they move on from there and they go get lunch. And again, talking about people that just enjoy playing with camera angles and all that kind of stuff. There's a cool scene where they get to the diner and they follow a dude that's smoking out on break and they do this one long walking unbroken shot from him on break back to getting food to coming outside and handing them their plates, you know, without washing his hands or, or whatever. It's just a cool shot. Uh, I don't really know what they were, if they were trying to show anything in particular with that, other than just showing, hey, we're at the diner, and we're going to do this really cool, you know, one scene or unbroken shot of this. So that that was neat. I, I appreciate I appreciated the, uh, the camera in that scene, so that was very cool. All right, so they're at lunch. They're talking about everything as far as, the stuff they've seen, how they're already feeling uncomfortable, everyone's acting kind of weird, you know, all the security guards are just a little too much, and still, they haven't heard anything about Justine. You know, everyone just keeps blowing them off about Justine. Eric's starting to get very uncomfortable. Ashton comes in and is is trying to chill him out a little bit, but he says, you know, hey, if we don't hear anything by this time or whatever, we'll go to the police and we'll get to the bottom of what's going on here. So they end up not hearing anything. They decide to go to the sheriff to kind of figure out what's happening. And I think at this point, maybe, have they lost anyone else? I mean, they still haven't seen their boss since they got there, but I can't remember if the other guy's been picked off yet. So anyway, they go to the sheriff, and he is a very uh, typecast 
character because they go in there and he's at this desk and he's got this huge brown bag of you know liquor on the desk he looks very unkempt and he's uh he's just as big a dick as all the other guys as they've dealt with and the guys go in there and they're very concerned and he comes to so eric's kind of you know pressing him a little bit like hey man my girlfriend's been missing for this long we've gone down here looking for her. no one's trying to help us out and the sheriff kind of gets in his face and they kind of have this, they, they have, they don't kind of, they, they have this standoff there where he's like, you're going to do something about this. And the sheriff's, you know, Hey, you guys come into our small town all the time wanting to stir up shit and I'm not going to deal with it. And pretty much tells him, I'm going to throw everybody in jail. If you guys don't get out, get out of my face. You know, I told you I would do a report and that's all I'm going to do. Cause of course, Eric wants more done. He wants him to investigate. He gave them the flash drive that they got at the beginning does all this stuff and the, the sheriff's just like I'll I'll do a report get out of here before I take you to jail so that scene is very you, you know it adds to that whole unease of the whole place as you know as you're watching it you're like damn these guys are gonna have to do this on their own because they're not getting help from anywhere right so they leave and this is when you find out that the sheriff is in fact a d-bag because he tells his officer the other one that's in there the female deputy tells her to just get rid of all the evidence and she's super complicit with it so you can tell this is something that they do all the time it's something that they deal with they're part they're in on whatever is going on here and some fun facts about the guy that plays the sheriff now i think in the credits he's i think he's actually uh his credits in this film are as chief clint davis but i believe in the film they refer to him as sheriff so i, I hope i'm not getting this wrong but anyway he's the guy that plays that guy and his name is and i'm gonna ruin it john I John Anakwin. Anyway, I'm so sorry. I fucking I wrote it in pen and I can't read. So it's John who plays Chief Clint Davis. He has been involved in a bunch of stuff. Whether he's acted or been involved with the art department or something like that on these films. When I checked out everyone's film credits, he probably has the most recognizable entries into this. So he was involved with The Road. The Road was a movie that was based on the book. If you've never read it, great book. Sort of just okay film. The book was really, really good, though. And, you know, I hate to be one of those people where the book's better than the movie. But in this case, 100% true. So if you ever read The Road, it's a cool book. He was involved in The Dark Knight. Uh, Zack and Mira make a porno. The Mothman Prophecies, the one in two, the 2002 film. Uh, Inspector Gadget. Science of the Lambs. I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff so that we recognize. And here he is in this film. So it's just kind of cool. You can tell because the dude can act and all that kind of stuff. So just a little sidebar note about that. All right, we move on. So they leave the sheriff's office and they decide to go back to the prison to try to press everyone to figure out what's going on because Eric is telling them, hey, we've we've still not even seen the doctor. We saw Nurse Saver, but we haven't seen the actual doctor that runs this place. So they go in there, they go back over there and they're, they want to see the doctor. But when they get there, and I can't remember if this is when they're waiting or not, but they show an inmate just getting his ass whooped just right there in the lobby and of course the guards are just kind of smiling at them while they're doing it and the dude's got a bag over his head and again it just adds to the the pressure of this place you know these are the things that are going on and somehow this is all acceptable because it's happening right here in the lobby not even in a back room and these guys are obviously proud of themselves of what they're doing so they ask to talk with the doctor and there's a funny scene here where they're waiting on the doctor for i think it's like hours and the reason why it's funny is because i wonder if they were just kind of doing a play on you know, when you go to the doctor's office, you're out in the waiting room forever. So I don't know, but they waited on the dude forever. They start getting agitated about the wait with the guard 
And finally, the doctor comes out and he says, I'll see you. They go in to talk to him and he's he's uh, he's working on just like a torso. So there's just this bloody, no legs, no arms, head's gone, working on a torso. And he's talking to them about just different parts of the body, blood types, organs, all this different stuff as he's working on it. And the doctor's character is into his work. And what I mean by that is he's not really looking at the guys that are there. He's not really paying a whole lot of attention to them. He's all about his work and what he's trying to accomplish, if that makes any sense. So they talk to the guy for a little bit. He gives them a little bit of information that he knows about Justine and then talks to him more about what he's doing there. And so the guys don't, they pretty much get nothing from him and they just leave. Well, as they leave and the doctor's working on it, he he take he goes over i think he takes something either it's an organ or something or, he, or maybe he actually goes over there and he grabs a head and the head is mark's head now we know it's mark's head because one it's bald and two it's got marks he when they started the road trip he had these big huge very recognizable headphones on and those headphones were there by the head so now we know their boss who was pulled off to the side in the very beginning that was his torso and he is very much dead so now we know the shit is getting real and these dudes probably ain't going to make it. You know, they have the intentions of killing them and they have no problem doing it. I mean, after all, they have the backing of the law enforcement that's there. So, you know, no hope. So Ash and Eric go looking for people and they're back at their hotel. I think they're back at their hotel or the or they stay there on property. They have rooms on the property. That's what it is. But while they're doing that, they lose... Zach, the comic relief guy. So he goes to use the bathroom or something like that. And they're like, okay, we're going to go to our rooms. He's like, all right, whatever. So he goes to use the bathroom. And this is a good scene. So he, he goes to the bathroom. And while he's in there, he hears someone else comes in. And when he stands up to pull his pants up or whatever, a foot comes under the stall and just snaps his ankle. And it was done. You know, again, these guys don't have all the money for super cool special effects. So they were able to do it in a way that wasn't just completely ridiculous. I, I enjoyed the scene. He does that. He ends up passing out and he wakes up tied to a chair in a shitty basement somewhere. And we're like, okay, so now we're actually going to get to see the guards that we knew were scumbags actually doing their scumbag stuff. So he's tied to a chair and there's these two officers in front of him. And you think there's going to be this big scene of like, they're going to show him something or they're going to torture him or ask him for information or something like that. Nope. One cop just gets his gun out, and you're like, oh, dude, what's going to happen here? And he just puts it in homeboy's mouth, and pow! And it all comes out of the back and slaps the wall and everything. Done really well. Good job on that, guys. I thought that that scene worked. I liked it. It worked out really well. And it was shocking, not so much for what happened as far as the gore and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we've all seen scenes like that in movies, but just like the suddenness of it. You know, it just kind of turned everything up a few notches that it where it wasn't. And you were like, okay, this is, you know, him getting his ankle broke and, and kidnapped and all that was one thing. But then when they went in there and they actually just, you know, shot the dude and that was that was it. Then, you know, these guys aren't playing around and our other two characters are left are still in the building. So it's probably not going to look too good for them either. So we flash back up to Eric and his bud. They're in their rooms and they find... I think the door, I can't remember if the doors are in the room or if they find me. Anyway, these doors just lead downstairs to where the inmates are. So they go through these doors. They start looking around to try to find, because he's still looking. Eric's still, his mind is still on Justine. So he's still looking for Justine. And he's like, we got to go down here and try to figure something out. He's like, you know, we, we're, 
we can't find three people now, and we're just sitting around here like nothing's happening. So they go through the doors, and they wind up back down where the inmates are. So they go down there, and one of the inmates grabs Ashton and starts attacking him and ends up pulling his, I think he pulls his leg through the bar or something like that and ends up snapping his ankle. So now we got two broken ankles in this film, and he he's down on the floor in pain or whatever. Officer Thompson comes up to try to help him out because he hear or he you know he knows these guys are down there now. Goes down there and tries to help him out. Inmate ends up jacking him up and getting loose. So now we have an inmate on the loose. We got friends and people that are missing, and we got Eric still. I don't remember where he's at at this point, but he ends up walking around and getting attacked by a guard as well. And uh, I believe he gets hit unconscious. He gets I can't remember how it happens, but he's unconscious. So he gets knocked unconscious, and Ashton's ankle's all jacked up, so we don't really know where that's going. And then we cut to a scene where Eric is in, I believe it's in the same room. It's going to be the same room where Justine was had that stuff cut out of her. So he wakes up, and he's all, he's all bloody and everything, and he wakes up. He's really disoriented, and he decides to try to escape. So he makes his way out of there, and he winds up in a different room where he's hiding out, and he sees the inmate the one that escaped, he's in the room where their buddy got his head blown off. It's it's in the same room. And so the inmate's in there with Officer Thompson and Eric, and he has them held hostage or whatever. So he ends up... I can't... What does he use? I can't remember what he uses. Oh, shit. He uses something and ends up decapitating Officer Thompson. So like I said, this thing is ramped up from a 6 to a 9, just like that. So he ends up decapitating the officer and he's about to do it to Ashton before Eric comes out there and bashes his brain in. So he grabs Ashton and they're going to go and try to find a way out and he's really pulling Eric is really pulling Ashton through all this. He's like, you know, come on, get up. You know, you got it. You got to go. It's this real intense scene where I guess Ashton is kind of just giving up and Eric's like, "Hey man, you know, you're not going to die in here with everyone else. We're going to get out of here and all that. Oh, also, I forgot. Eric ended up finding some paperwork with everyone's file on it. So he real oh, and it says in there about people being deceased or whatever. So with that paperwork that he finds, he finds out now that all these people that they were looking for are dead. And that's what this whole place is. Just one big kill factory. And he gets his buddy and he's like, you know, we're going to wind up just like that. So let's get out of here. So grabs Ashen and on the way out. This is kind of the big crescendo here at the end when all, when all things come to light. They're looking for a way out, and Eric finds out that Ashton is... Okay, that's spoiled the shit out of it, so if you haven't seen it yet, please go see it. Just go check it out on YouTube or any of the other uh, platforms it's available on. You can go to bodyfarm.com and see where it's available to watch, okay? So, have you done that? Awesome. All right, so now you know what happened. But anyway, he finds out that Ashton is the doctor's son. Holy shit. Did I see that coming? No, I did not. Was it was there this whole, you know, did they go back to their old school film school film school stuff of having a red herring and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely, because I was all about I knew Justine was dead, but I wanted Eric to figure out that Justine was dead. And then once he figured that out, it was for me just him getting out of here alive. And so then we go into that and we find out Ashton is the doctor's son. Now, why is that significant? Well, if you've watched the movie, you know why. But the ending, they do a montage scene of Ashton getting a job there and some different things that he had did that kind of 
signal to you now that makes sense that he is the doctor's son. The little health monitor thing we talked about in the very beginning was because his son needs, I don't know, a kidney or something like that. And we find out that Eric is the type of, the, the certain blood type that they need for that transfusion. So it's this big, you know, uh, reveal here at the end. Now, let's nerd out. Let's push up our glasses and get critiquey here. The monologue of Ashton of this is cool, but he has a, like a reverb or an echo, some kind of thing on his voice. Unnecessary. Take that out. It took away from the monologue for me. Maybe not for everybody, but I felt like it was just a little much. Just let him say it with the dramatic music in the background. I did not care for that reverby, echoey uh, effect on his monologue. So, but of course there is a tagline and it's on their website, so I don't care to say it, but he says, you won't kill me, but you will save me. I know you guys wrote this. I thought that was, that was a fucking cool line for the movie. Cool way to cap off this, you know, scene here. So Eric gets knocked out again. We cut to a scene of him and Ashton uh, side by side on their beds and they're talking about doing the whole transfusion all that kind of stuff Eric pops up and he's still sort of struggling because you think he's dead I thought he was dead but it shows him struggle and the doctor says something about he's a big boy you know and that he's still fighting off the anesthesia or whatever it is and Ashton has a little bit of look of worry in his face but he's more worried that he's gonna die if he doesn't get this transfusion so he's glad to get it they end up doing all this stuff and it leaves Eric, so I guess the transfusion has already occurred because Eric's in the room by himself later on in this scene. And then it, ha well, even before that, it shows the doctors on the computer and you see that this is a whole network of things, kind of black market organ sales that they do. So they will find donors. So that's how they're the, on the black market is that they will go out, find people that have, you know, whatever it is that they're person that's paying for it needs and they will find it whether the person is alive or dead they'll kidnap and kill him get it big money big business whatever and that's what this whole place is for that's what they're doing with these inmates they just keep people down there and that's what they do oh and the inmate that escaped too you find that you find out that his whole backstory is that he got kidnapped or him and his wife got kidnapped from somewhere and that she was pregnant and they killed his wife and they talk about that officer thompson who he ended up cutting his head off I think might have, you know, raped his pregnant wife or something like that. So you have all these other things that happen in between to kind of set the tone of this movie. So I forgot to mention that earlier. So anyway, it shows him talking to one of the donors and then it cuts to an end scene of Eric being in the room and he's on the table. And I can't remember if he moves around or does something to let you know that he's alive. But out of nowhere, fucking just i guess i'm pretty sure it's justine just crawls out of the dark and, and is all bloody and stuff and is trying to grab his hand and then it just cuts to black now that that scene felt i was just like what the fuck <laughs> like what the fuck why why is she still alive because the first scene of her bleeding out is you're fucking you are dead right so i assume she was dead through the whole thing so it was one of those where we had the whole red herring thing through the whole thing. We have a surprise ending with his homeboy son or whatever. And then we have another surprise ending. So it's just kind of like, gotcha on top of gotcha on top of, but what about this? And so for me, it, uh, you know, let's get uh, critique and say the Justine thing didn't have to happen. I guess if you're wanting to make a number two, so that's why you left it in there. But it just felt a little extra. 
Like, I feel like maybe maybe when you guys were editing or something, someone was just like, I really like this Justine scene. And someone else was just like, I don't know, man. It seems a little weird. Like, let's just throw it in there and see what happens. So I get it. But if you're just asking a random person who watched it, eh, I didn't like it. I thought the movie could have ended without that or just him sitting there and maybe showed a beep on the machine to show he's still alive or something. But with her creeping back out, uh, it didn't pique my interest to be like, oh, what's going to happen in number two? You know, it would have had the same effect had you just shown him like his eyes pop open and then it cut to black or something like that. So that's just my opinion. I don't make movies. I, you know, I don't, I don't have the talent that you guys have. So please don't take that as anything negative. It's just an honest opinion looking at it. So that is, uh, that's the movie. That was the movie. I thought, like I said, independent film, watch it knowing that these guys didn't have a huge budget. I'm sure everyone from the, the cast and the crew and everyone pitched in to do what they can to help make this movie come to light. So let's support indie horror, watch the film, Follow them all, all their socials, like and subscribe and do all that kind of stuff so that we can get these guys the materials they need because the the camera shot, the the cinematography was there, the story was there, they were able to do a lot with a little. And I appreciated that. And I guess you can what's the good corporate? I can see the vision. I can see the vision, guys. And they're working hard and doing a good job. And I believe it was check notes here. I believe it was Brandon who said they have big announcements coming up in the next couple of months. So stay tuned to their socials to see what that is and check them out. All right, well, that's the show. Tune in next week when I'll be sitting down with author Carson Winter to discuss Thomas Lugatti. This has been Just James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James. Take care. Pokemon, gotta fucking catch them all. <laughs> Strong. It's my goddamn destiny. Pokemon. <sighs> Welcome back, everyone, to Just James Horror Reviews. 